Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It's unbelievable. Well, at least the farmers are happy. I think the only guy not happy about this is Michael Jans. He doesn't appear to be happy about anything these days. I guess that's what you get. All right, welcome back, everybody. Bob Stopper with you. It is uh, currently 1234 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott back at the 630 Chad Studios. We'll tell you the guests on the show receive gift certificates to Roos Chris Steakhouse. Whether you're celebrating a special moment or simply savoring a night in the town, every meal is an occasion at Roos Chris Steakhouse, 9990 Jasper Avenue. Open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 till 10 p.m. Roos Chris, it's the greatest steak you've ever had. And we are going to head off to the River Creek Resort and Casino Hotline. We welcome back Sportsnet's Mark Spector for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta, presenting live thoroughbred racing Friday and Saturday at Century Mile Racetrack and Casino. Parking and admission are free. For more info, head to uh, thehorses.com. It's funny, uh, between the machinations of a show that was once called Total Sports and then the last, uh, geez, I think the last seven years, uh, 12 years, Mark Spector uh, has, uh, uh, for the first four years, he was co-host of uh, Total Sports. We've had him on a long time. I, I don't even really know if we really like each other. I, 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 <laughs> like it's, I did stick up for you once. I know that. Uh, the day that Kevin Lowe traded for Dwayne Rose and I got into it with your old buddy John at, uh, at Oiters HQ. And, and you know, Mark, when I decide to actually throw down on stuff, I'm prepared to throw down on stuff. So, uh, but uh, we we have our moments too, uh, which is going to uh, well. You put a tweet out about an hour and a half ago, and in, involving Yesapoliarvi. You know the fandom when it comes to Yesapoliarvi. Um, first of all, let's establish point blank. What are you hearing on Poliarvi? Is it your belief that have you been told that he has requested a trade? Do you have that from Marcus Lato? Do you have that from Ken Holland? Where are you at with this right now, Speck? I've been told uh, through the Lato camp that uh, they just don't see their role in Edmonton as a role they want. They are okay. ready to go assume a role elsewhere. Uh, Daniel Nugent Bowman laid it out very well today that the Oilers are looking at him as a Pugliarvi as a third line player who, if they can't get another top six guy, might get a top six shot. Maybe if he works his way up, he might be. Uh, and the Pugliarvi camp is not interested in that. They're top six. They think they're, he's a top six player. They want to go play for a team that brings them in as a top six player off the start of the season and considers them a top six player. And I know the Oilers do not consider at this point are to be a top six player there's so, an old there's an old saying mark the players are the first to know so yeah. 30 years ago when we played media hockey before i got really fat uh i you know like i knew when john sexsmith was out on the ice that he was going to play me hard because he was super competitive and he could skate and i knew that you would beak off once in a while uh but you weren't really looking to be a jerk out there and you knew that i was highly unpredictable on the ice. <laughs> It's up to, I'm just having some fun with you. The players are the first to know. Now, Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, you've taken those guys to the task at times in the past. Where do you think, how much of this do you think is, you know, 
they seem to speak eloquently about Kyler Yamamoto. What's your take on, is it possible some of the players don't see Paul Yarby as a top six guy? Well, listen, I think the player, the first thing you say that the players know, the players know. Right, the players know if he's if any player on the team, you know what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. I do, you know. I would say this: Giacomo McDavid, uh, you know, played with Pulleyarvi since what early December on last year, and uh, you know, and no one saw him. He would never complain publicly to us anyway. But I don't know what he said in his exit interview. But you know what? If I was guessing, I'd say he would tell Ken Holland that no, this guy's not a top line right winger. I don't think he played like a top line right winger. And I think the organizations certainly showed us that they see him as a middle six at best right winger. Yeah. So I don't think. Listen, neither Leon Drysaddle nor Connor McDavid has said directly to Mark Spector, "I don't like playing with this guy." Okay. But you've heard those rumblings around the Oilers for a couple of years now, Bob. I know you have. I know that I have, right? I know that I have. And all I know is world-class players, they'll carry a kid along for a while until he shows improvement. Uh, they, you know, I think that Connor McDavid has carried, yes, the Pugliarvi along long enough. I don't think he, he covets going to training camp with that same right winger next year, Bob. Mark, as you know, I do have time for analytics because I'm – I'm want to be exhaustive and and make no mistake here. You and me are doing different things. I want I work for the Oilers Entertainment Group. I want the Oilers to win the cup. I want Edmonton to win. Never lose sight of that, right? That's what I want. Uh, you, on the other hand, I think it's fair, have a little bit more impartiality and are kind of. You've told me before. You kind of cheer for the story a bit. So I oh, want to. Sure. And, and, and so my expectation is an organization should be exhaustive in finding ways to get the best deals on players and explore the most possible options to, to get the most amount of research, which includes anal, which includes analytics. An area that the Oilers... I'm going to tell you... Everybody does analytics, right? I'm going to tell you right... Spec, I'm going to tell you right now, I can 100% guarantee everybody... This is going to be an area of improvement for Edmonton over the next 18 months. They're going to grow their analytics department out. Now, I bring this up because there is a strong supportive argument for Poliarvi on the analytics front. So how would you respond to that? Well, I've responded on this show before many times, Bob. The, the, uh, the eye test is proven to fail sometimes. We've all looked at players who we thought were going to be really good players, and they weren't. Right, GMs and um, you know every GM in the league has looked at players and said, "I want to acquire that guy because I think he's good because I watched him play," and that player shows up and he's not that good, right? So the eye test fails sometimes, and analytics fail sometimes too, Bob. The analytics said Benoit Pouliot was really good, that Mark Fein was a valuable good defenseman, that Martin Marinson was a hell of a player, that. Um, you know, uh, every team can give you a list of two or three guys. And the analytics said he was a good player, but he just never turned into one. So it is my opinion that we are watching an analytics fail in Jesse Pugliarvi. I get it. Yeah. There's a million analytics that tell you all the great things he does, and that's awesome. And you know what? What I'm seeing when I look at those analytics is a guy who does a lot of the things that a third-line player does. And maybe that's what he is. Maybe he's a third-line right winger, and that's awesome. 
But when you're the Edmonton Oilers and the, the kid and his agent are saying, we're not a third-line player. We're not coming there as a third-line player. We don't want to sign as a third-line player. We do not want to be a third-line player. If your analytics tell you that you've got a real good third-line player, what do you do with that guy? You bring it back and force-feed it to him? I don't yeah. think you do. There's a okay. thing, and we've used this term before, opportunity costs, and I've referenced the St. Louis Cardinals because I think that there is a baseball team that, historically speaking, has had a very good draft and development model, and it's one of the reasons why they're generally fairly competitive. And they recognize opportunity costs. So when a guy that's a number five hitter hits 235 and hits, you know, 22 home runs and 65 RBIs, they need more finish from that guy in that spot. And they'll flip him, and you'll be a little bit surprised because maybe that hitter made, you know, had a significant run in a playoff series or something, and boom, they end up trading him. And there is, for me, one of the concerns I had in stretches. What's crazy about what happened with Paul Yarby, Mark, is I can't believe we're having this conversation. Because when Edmonton headed off to Seattle on the 18th uh, to play the uh, Kraken on the 18th of December, yes, Paul Yarby was the fourth highest scoring player on the team. He had 10 goals and 23 points in the first 28 games. And I kept saying he, he he had a really good start and he looked like he was getting it. He got COVID. Then he missed a month with a lower body issue. And I think he ended up with six goals in the final 53 games of the season. Or mm-hmm. maybe for him, 52, because I think he missed one of the playoff games. Whatever. It, it, it's it's really... So is part of this an opportunity cost? And conversely, is part of this the expectation and weight of the cost of the contract coming from the agency and where they see their guys slotted? Well, listen, if, if Yesipoli Harvey wanted to play here and was, and was in on this thing, he would very likely say, look... Oh, let's let's make a, a deal. Let's make a contract here. He's the qualifying offer is one point four, but the big fear is you get taken arbitration, and now you got a player that's earning more than you want to pay him. You know, I'm not sure. Where, nobody knows where arbitration takes you, Bob. Right? Nobody knows. But if yes, if is making two point nine or three million bucks, that's too much for the production that he gives you. So to me, if it's if I'm you know, if I'm an agent and I got a player who says, I want to be part of this thing, I like this team, I want to play there, I go back to Ken Holland and I find a, a very short-term deal in the 1.7, 1.8 range. And I say, okay, I'll bet myself. Give me a short-term deal. And I'm going to show you that when my next contract comes up, you're going to want to pay me four or five million bucks. That hasn't happened, right? There hasn't been a negotiation that way. They're not – the Lado and Poyarvi camp aren't coming to Ken Holland and saying – Hey, come on, let's get a deal done here. You know, we'll we'll take what you think we're worth a little bit more, and we'll make something happen because we want to be here. That is not happening, Bob. So, listen, this is like a marriage that just didn't work. No one likes a divorce, but that's what we're seeing here. And you know what? I'm sorry that there's people out there that get upset when I report the facts, but those are the facts, Bob. Like them or not. Uh, there are those, Mark, that suggest, again, circling back to the numbers, that yes, Apoliarvi is the Oilers' best defensive forward. Yeah. Uh, um, That's the analytics fail, right? That's the analytics. All I know, Bob, is there's three head coaches and three general managers who don't think that, right? There's and a it, bunch of guys that have head coach, been head coaches in Edmonton that have never deployed Jesse Poyarvi like a top defensive player, that have never said to any of us PK. on or off the record. Let's put him on PK. Yeah, they put don't him on put PK. him on PK. They do not think he's their best defensive player. Some of the fans think that. That's awesome. 
but I tend to go with a sample of three professional head coaches who are telling me that that is not the case. Well, it's it's funny, and again, I think the Oilers, and we're gonna we're gonna move on here to another player when we come back out of the break, Mark. But mm-hmm. uh, it is incumbent upon the Edmonton Oilers to be exhaustive to find a way to build upon the success of what they had last year and be better because they weren't good enough to get past Colorado. they got to find a solution and goal. They might have to find two solutions on the fence instead of one. Um, and we'll, you know, they got a, they got a lot of work to do here. And, and all that said, the general manager, in fairness to him, and he is not everybody's cup of tea, but the reality is take a look at his winning percentage since he's come here. Yep. At the end of the day, you can – and I don't agree with everything that he's done. I don't agree with every – you know, the – I knew the moment the trade went down for Athens CU, I was concerned about that trade, and that's before the pandemic hit. Okay, and then we got a flat cap. Now, he said when he took the job, we're going to make the occasional mistake, and we don't know how much of a push came from, as an example, Connor McDavid or Dave Tippett to, to go get a, a top six guy to play with uh, uh, with Connor McDavid. And the fact is, Athens CU had a 30-goal season the year before. But he had some ugly numbers on a bad team. Detroit was a bad team, minus 45. And to be frank with you, the fact that they missed on Athens CU, uh, the given the three Detroit guys that came over, it, it, to me, it was a little bit concerning because they had more information and more viewings on that player than I than I personally did. So all that said, you might say that's a strike against Ken Holland, but at the end of the day, the team's basically been a 600-winning percentage team for three straight seasons. They weren't that when the guy took over. And I think that's sometimes lost with people. You know what I mean? I think they... Things manifest in their minds, you know, this guy's lost his fastball, yada, yada, yada. Well, you were 24th before he got here. 12th, 11th, and 11th the last three years. And, you know, so, Mark, you ready to talk about some defense and the changing complexion of the D when we return? There's a player I was wrong on. I didn't think he'd turn out to be this good. Leon Dreisaitl. Welcome back, everybody. 1248 Edmonton. Back into the Ashley Fine Floors text line. Stoney says, Bob, Mark Spector whining about JP making 2.9 when Fogel makes 2.75. Dystopian. That one comes to us from Stoney. David says, Spec, do not say sorry when calling it out as to how it is. That one comes to us from 76 David. Again, you can text us at 780-496-0063. Hugh, one more for you, says, regarding Jesse, I was a cheerleader for this guy since he came back to play for the Oilers, but his performance in the playoffs was comical. He seems to get so excited when he gets an opportunity to get a shot on the net, but his feet are not in tune with his brain. If he can get that under control, he can become a top six forward. Again, you can text us 780-496-0063. Another texter says, Poliarvi played hurt in the last half. We've made that point repeatedly on this show. I don't know what he is or will be, but I think there is upside with him. I'll eat my words if he's not a better player next year if he's not hurt. I think that's a fair text. I think he's he's a guy that has to be right. Just Mark on potential, uh, and I don't know if you heard the opening of the show today. We're going to bring a re-engage Mark Spector, sports inspector for the horses and horse racing in Alberta. Um, I suggested there's a couple different types of organizations that make sense for Pulley Obviously, one would be analytically driven. And I look at New Jersey. And I look at Carolina. Those are organizations. Uh, uh, New Jersey certainly 
has a heavy analytics influence, as does Carolina. And Carolina's also got Sebastian Ajo, who played with Poliarvi. And then I mentioned organizations that have prior history uh, with Jesse, and St. Louis would be a team like that. Pete Chiarelli drafted him. He's a senior executive with the Blues underneath Doug Armstrong, and Ken Hitchcock is a consultant there. Uh, would you agree on those uh, three teams? Yeah, I haven't heard St. Louis in the mix as much, Bob, but I've certainly heard uh, Carolina has definitely been in the mix and talking to Ken Holland about about Poyarvi. Um, You know, I think that they see a few things. I mean, maybe their analytics, I think Eric Tulski is there. Uh, they may look at Jesse's analytics and think that's great. They may also be looking at the fact that Jesse has never been a better player than when he played on a line with Patrick Liney and Sebastian Ajo. Right at the World Junior when he won the MVP of that tournament, Aho was a centerman. So they may be looking at you know reuniting them. Let's see if that happens. I would say to you, Bob, that uh, one guy that would know a little something about uh, Pugliarvi would be Harry Aho, who was the GM of Ulu Carpat, right? Uh, when yes, he went back over there, and that of course is Sebastian's father. So you know the, the intel in Carolina is big for sure. You know, there's no doubt about that. So let's, you know, all I know is this. Everybody in the league knows this player can be had. Like, it's not a secret, right? Ken Holland's made it clear. This guy's out there, and he's in the market. And he's not traded yet. So I guess that tells me that Ken Holland has not clearly not received an offer that he's willing to make. And that tells me that the offers aren't that great because he's got an unhappy player that he's really, you know, compelled to move at some point here. And uh, he's not moving him yet. So the offer's can't be that good, Bob. Raider Jesse says, Bob, I know for a fact you and I as co-GMs could have put up a 600 win percentage the last three seasons. That one comes to us from Raider Jesse. Yeah. Well, you're more confident in your abilities than I'm in. <laughs> tell you right now. Uh, so I think Bob, I think you, know, you made the point last segment about about going, what have they been the last three years? They were twenty. I think it was twenty fifth when he took them over. Were they twenty fifth or twenty fourth? And then they went twelfth, eleventh, eleventh in the league, and went to the final four. And like, I guess what I don't, I, I never tell the fan what to do. I'm telling the fan, here's what I know to be the facts, and you can love me or hate me, and I can live with that. I don't ever tell a fan who to cheer for, or how to cheer. But I do, I do, I guess I just wonder, after all the years in Edmonton having a lousy team and all the years of not making the playoffs and all the years of not even being close to competitive, you got a GM that's walked in here and made you a top 12 team for three years in a row and a team that just went to the Final Four. And there are a certain faction, and maybe it's just a tiny, tiny vocal minority, or major, or minority Bob. That could be the case. But I don't get how you can't enjoy that. Like, as a fan of the Edmonton Oilers, it's been pretty good. Ken Holland's done a nice job. Has he made a mistake or two? Sure. Every GM makes a mistake or two. Go through the list. Every GM screws it up once in a while. But this is a pretty good team, and they're an exciting team. And they went to the Final Four. They got some building to do. But I, I don't get why why Order Fan isn't just taking a chance to smell the roses a little bit here. It's you know, There's a lot of teams in the league that you would rather not be compared to the Edmonton Oilers. I can tell you that for sure. Yeah, it's an interesting one, Mark, like it is. Um, let's see if I can do this math on the fly here. 259 into 400 and what is that? 418. I think that's about 610. Let's see. 
609. I'm wrong. 620. It's got a 620 winning percentage over the last. So I, was, I shorted him by a, a tenth of a percentage. He's at 620. He's at 620 the last three seasons. And then this, here's where guys will say, yeah, but what's he in the playoffs? Well, now you're playing against the top 16 teams, not the top 21. All well, right. In the first two years, they had lousy playoffs, but not this year. This year, they had good playoffs. They stumbled against L.A., but but brought it back together and won a series. You went and then you beat your provincial rivals, and then you lost to the Cup champs. Okay, so you got to improve. But who cares what they did at this point, Bob, against the Chicago Blackhawks in the bubble? I don't care. That's just totally meaningless to me. How did you do this year, right? This year is what counts, and they've made progress. They won two rounds. Ask a guy in Toronto if you wouldn't mind winning two rounds once I a while. saw a tweet yesterday from the Bleacher Report saying that Austin Matthews is the best American player of all time. The guy hasn't even won a playoff series, and, you know, there's a guy named Patrick Kane that's won three Stanley Cups, and he's been a pretty good American player. He oh might be God. the best American player right now, but he ain't the best American player of all time. Like, come on, man. I think they call that recency bias, Bob. Is that what it is? All right. Yes, it is. Speaking of the Chicago Blackhawks, Duncan Keith, uh, he's getting an extension in terms. So how would you see this? If Duncan Keith elects to retire, and I'm going to throw this out there to the, the listeners right now. You can text us on our – so I'm asking you to pivot away from Pugliarvi for a second. Please, please. If Duncan Keith elects to retire, and there has been some suggestion that he was contemplating doing this last summer, uh, would you see it as an opportunity or would you see it as a downer for the Edmonton Oilers? Because in fairness to Keith, he played pretty well last year. Keith was, was, I thought Keith was very good, and I think what what people need to remember and realize is how much he's done for Evan Bouchard here. You know, Evan Bouchard wasn't near the player until he started playing with Keith. Uh, so Keith, listen, I'm I'm all in on Keith. I think Keith's a good player. He's a second line player. He sure did he get exposed on a couple plays in the playoffs because he was playing too many minutes and Nurse was hurt. Yeah, Victor Hedman got exposed, too, a few times if you watch that final, Bob. <laughs> right? Good players playing against good players, sometimes they beat you. So I'm all, I am I have a believer that, uh, sure, that, that Keith is an excellent second-pairing defense for this point in his career. If your question is, is it good for the Oilers if Keith retires, I can't answer that until tell you, till you tell me who they're getting in free agency to what's fill the, the spot. What's, what's the solution? Right. What's, What's the solution? How much you got to pay for the solution? Because you're shopping in free agency. You got Keith on a one-year deal here. Yes. Okay? Cost certainty. It's I know the cap hits high, the money's low. So you want to you can replace Keith, but you're going to replace him in the free agent market, Bob. And that the term on that player is usually four years. Duncan Keith went from playing 23-25 for the Chicago Blackhawks in 2021. He played 19-44 per game for Edmonton. Okay. Right. Uh, he got. He played 64 games this season. Uh, was plus 15, pretty good. Um, obviously, come playoff time, ended up him and I thought basically from the middle of the Calgary series throughout the Colorado series, there were some tough moments. That also coincided with the fact that Mike Smith had some tough moments too in between the pipes. And at times they had some bad. He played the same amount. He played 1940 a game in the playoffs. It is tough to replace a 20-minute-a-game defenseman. I don't think there's any question about that. On a personal level, I will tell you that I think Duncan's uh, hes a pretty committed guy. He really cares about his fitness. 
He is very specific about his diet. And I wonder if there comes a point in a guy's career where he's used to playing at a certain level. This guy played 30 minutes a game spec in 15 and 16 in the playoffs. 31 minutes a game in the playoffs during those years. Now they had some. Yeah. Right. Those days are gone for, right? him, for sure. And so I, so the question I have for the listeners in Texas on the Ashley Fine Flores text line at 1258 in Edmonton, is it an opportunity for Ken Holland if Keith does elect to retire? Or conversely, is it bad news for the Edmonton Oilers because it's going to be difficult to replace what he does? You tell us on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. We'll head off to a global news weather traffic update. And when we come back, we'll talk about Specs' next favorite topic, goaltending, when we return on Oilers Now. Eileen Bell up next. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.